Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. just want to start by sharing one of my favorite films of all time. I'm hoping there's a few people will share this with me. Um, Braveheart. Braveheart is one of my favorite films of all time. Anybody seen Braveheart? Yes, you have it. Yeah. Braveheart came out in 1995. Um, William Wallace is the main character played by Mel Gibson. William Wallace is a 13th century Scottish noble who who fights the English for freedom for the Scots. Um, and uh, I remember, that, I mean, I think the most famous bit in the film, if you've seen it, is William Wallace's speech to the troops before the, the Battle of Stirling. Now, my brother and I, we loved Braveheart so much when we were younger, and we watched it so much um, that actually, we could actually, we could say this speech word for word um, uh, without any notes, right? Like we, we could just, and we'd say it to each other. We would sometimes just act it out. Uh, that's how sad we were, really. You know, we grew up in the countryside. There wasn't much to do, okay? So, um, so yeah, but basically the scene is the Battle of Stirling. So the, the Scottish troops are lined up. William Wallace, if you've seen the film, he's got his famous his blue paint all over his, all over his war paint, ready to go. They're lined up. And then across the, the field is the, they're vastly outnumbered by the English troops. I think three to one. The English have this huge cavalry, all this armor, loads and loads of stuff. And the Scots are quaking in their boots. Um, lots of them are starting to run away. They're so, they're so frightened. And William Wallace shows up um, and he stands in front of the troops, the Scottish troops, and he says, will you fight? And one of them shouts out, no, we will run and we will live. And then you have the, the famous, the big, the big line in Braveheart. Now I'm going to read it because, uh, you know, I'm not 15 and I can't remember it exactly. But he says this, he says, As I fight and you may die, run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one, I need to emphasize that, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. And he shouts it out and everyone's like, yes, come on. And the people who are running away, they're like, what's going on here? Let's go back. Let's join this fight. The Scots all come back. They stand, they fight, and they win this amazing, amazing victory over the English. And Oh, my brother and I, like, we are so excited watching that growing up. And we'd stand. We couldn't sit and watch it. We'd actually stand and watch it. We're like, come on. Like, and after we watched Braveheart, you know, people ask us, hey, Andy, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I want to fight the English. That's what I want to do. I mean, don't you know the English? They're the enemies of freedom. Have you not seen Braveheart? Like, what more noble cause could you give your lives to? So you go to the careers teacher. Like, what GCSEs do I need to fight the English? Well, probably English lit, English language. Feel like. But that was like, yeah. So for a while... What I wanted to do with my life was fight the English. And I did, uh, you know, when I used to go on holidays over to England, I would ask people, I would say, have you seen Braveheart? Yeah. How do you feel about watching that film? Because you're the bad guys. And it was, I'd be surprised when people say, yeah, I quite like it. I was like, really? Well, anyway. But inspiring speeches can have a big impact. And this morning, we're going to look at another famous speech One that actually happened, (laughs) and that is Peter's speech in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And the key line in Peter's speech, the thing he really wants his listeners to get, is that they need to to repent and be baptised. 
They need to repent and be baptized. Now, this morning is the third in our To the Ends of the Earth preaching series where we're going through the book of Acts. We're going to be going through this over the next few months. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Tom looked at how Jesus was uh, taken up to heaven and the disciples were told to wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit. Last week, if you were here, Colin talked about, well, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming in power, tongues of fire, the, the disciples sharing the wonders of God in the languages of all the people who were there. And then people are like, what is going on? Are these people drunk? And then today what we're going to look at is Peter's, basically his response to this, saying, no, these people aren't drunk. No, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. And Peter delivers this, delivers this famous sermon on Pentecost. So we're going to read it. Um, it's Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And we'll finish at verse 41. Uh, it'll appear behind me or feel free to follow along in your Bibles. This is what Peter says on Pentecost. He says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter's not messing around here. Okay, I think we can conclude this is not a seeker sensitive sermon. Okay, he really is going for it. He's being very clear with people. But verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, Peter, I don't know if you noticed, he doesn't beat around the bush in this message. He says pretty clearly, look, you guys killed Jesus, or you at least helped the people who did. But he says it was actually all part of God's plan. God raised him back to life, and now he's exalted at the right hand of God. And Peter uses all of this as evidence to show the people that Jesus wasn't just some ordinary guy who they'd killed. No, Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the Lord. And the people that are listening, they're like, okay, the penny drops They're like, okay, we get it. He's right, actually. This Jesus was the Son of God. He's the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for for centuries. And we killed him. Oh, my goodness. 
we killed him. And they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter, okay, what do we do? And Peter is clear, super clear with his answer. You need to, verse 38, be repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, I just want to look briefly at those three things. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to be baptized? And what does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Spirit. So we're going to go boom, 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 and then we're going to we're going to worship again. Now I'm, I'm just going to warn you. I'm going to spend more time talking about the first point, repent, rather than the second two, just in case you think after we get to the first one is like, oh wow, gosh, you're only one point in. But we are going to talk about repentance. Okay, so what does it look like to repent? Well, the Greek word for repentance um, is the word metanoia, which is what it was in in the Greek New Testament, the language the the New Testament was written in. Metanoia means to change your mind. Okay, now metanoia, um, back when the Bible was written, it was a military term and it referred to a soldier marching in one direction and then turning 180 degrees and marching in the complete opposite direction. So what repentance is, is a complete turnaround. It means to change your mind about something completely. Okay, so Manchester City are awful to... Manchester City are amazing. I mean, simple things like that. Complete turnaround. What you think about something, one thing, complete opposite. That is what metanoia or repentance is. So in the passage here, when the people repented, what they did was they changed their mind about Jesus. They came thinking, okay, he wasn't the Messiah. I'm glad we killed him. To, oh my goodness, we've just killed the Messiah. This is awful. This is terrible. They also changed their mind. They also repented about their sin. So, you know, they were thinking, oh, we've killed this guy. He was a troublemaker. Good idea to, oh my goodness, what have we done? We've sinned. This is terrible. And they were cut to the heart. So that's how the people repented in this passage. They repented about who Jesus was. They repented about their sin. Now, I've got a very simple graph. Now, if you're into graphs, you, you know, may not like this one, but it's a very simple graph showing the usage of the word repent. Um, over the last 200 years. And you'll notice, now I'm not quite sure what the, you know, the slight uptick in 2019 is. I don't know, but you'll notice that basically it's gone, the, word, the usage of the word repent in our society has gone down significantly over the last 200 years. Okay, so it's not a, it's not a popular word. It's not a word that's used much. Uh, I mean, I think we could surmise that if the word's not used much, probably repentance is happening a lot less as well. I mean, I'm just, that's just me saying that. Now, it's interesting. I, I was reading that uh, theologian, Croatian theologian Miroslav Wolf makes some interesting observations about our culture that can explain why repentance isn't such a popular word anymore and why it isn't happening as much anymore, okay? The first thing he, he talks, the first observation he makes about our society is Generally in society, firstly, we see ourselves generally as good, okay? When we take a deep look at ourselves, um, he says, we don't expect to find a self tainted by sin, okay? Instead, we seem pretty confident that when we get to the bottom of who we really are, once you, you know, remove all the cultural stuff, upbringing stuff, when you get to the, conf- co- the core of who we are, he says, most people think, oh, we're basically good, basically good. Now, it's interesting, Martin Luther, the reformer, He used to say, if you don't love God with all your heart, and if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, that's a big problem, okay? Now, that is a high level of morality. 
isn't it? Love your neighbor with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, our standards of morality in our society are way lower than that. Now, our standard of morality in our society is generally, if it doesn't harm someone else, it's okay. It's basically okay. You're fine. If you're not harming someone else, you're basically okay. You're basically a good person, okay? So whenever it comes to repentance, one of the reasons why there's a lot less repentance happening is because when we, when we look at our lives and you think, okay, how was my day today? Well, I didn't harm anyone today. Have I got anything to repent of? No, I'm all right. Whereas the reality is, Luther comes in and says, hey, did you love God with all your heart today? Oh, no. Okay, well, you've got some things to repent of. Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Okay, you've got some things to repent of. See, it's a difference in what we see as the actual moral standard, okay? So that's the first thing. We generally see ourselves as good. That's one of the reasons why repentance has gone down. Second reason why repentance is less popular and isn't happening as much in our society is is that many of us think that what we do in our private lives, especially what we feel and think and desire, is nobody else's business, not even God's. Okay, so we sort of think, look, if I get angry or jealous thoughts, that's one thing. But if I don't act on them, then that's okay. You know, I had the thoughts, but I, I, like, I didn't do anything. You know, I, like I daydreamed about punching my boss in the face, but I didn't do it, you know? It's like, well, that's fine, though. I, I, I didn't do it. You know, you, you might have lustful thoughts, but as long as you don't act on it, it's okay. And there's that attitude of, well, if it just happened in here, it's okay. And then you hear Jesus in the Sermon Mount saying, ah, if you look lustfully on a woman, you've committed adultery with her in her heart. Jesus says, no, no, no. What's happening on the inside? Yeah, that matters too. That's God's domain too. He wants to know what's going on there too. Okay, so we're not just to examine our deeds, but also our intentions, our feelings, our desires. And when we do that, all of a sudden, there's a lot more stuff to repent of, isn't there? <laughs> there's a lot more stuff to be like, oh man, yeah, I do that. And I've done that, and I've done that. And you might be sitting here thinking, oh gosh, Andy, what, what is this sermon about today? Is this just basically telling us how bad we are? And you know, yes, <laughs> it is. Like, I want to blow your mind by how deep your sin goes and then blow your mind by how big God's grace is. And I think what we need to do a little bit is almost multiply how, much, how sinful we think we are by like a hundred, okay, to make it more accurate. But then multiply how big God's grace is to deal with that sin by like a million. And it's just, you know, anyway, um, I'm ad-libbing. But like, so that's the first, second reason. Third reason repentance doesn't happen so much in our society is because that we generally in our society we believe we should be affirmed no matter what okay so a god who condemns our deeds a lot of people think would be a bad god an acceptable god is one who a lot of people believe and this is what miroslav wolf has observed an acceptable god is one who leaves our wrongdoing alone and takes care of our well-being She's much more concerned with looking after our well-being, that we flourish, that we do well, and ignoring the bad stuff. And a lot of people have that view of God. But the reality is, if our only view of God is one who only ever affirms and encourages us, but never points out wrongdoing, then why would we ever, need to, why would we ever feel we need to, need to repent? The reality is, God does both. You think of the woman at the well, you know, I don't condemn you, now go sin no more. He does both. He encourages and he infirm, affirms us, but he also points out sin and says, you need to stop doing that. 
So those are some of the reasons why repentance doesn't happen so much anymore. Now you may think, okay, that's out there in society, but do you know what? I think the reality is it has come into the church as well. So not the funnest point in the world there, is it really? You know, But I think it's important. So what does it look like for us to repent? Just like Peter called his listeners to repent in the passage. Well, well we've got to confess our sin. That's what we've got to do when we repent. And we speak it out. We own it without excuses. You know, and it's, it's so easy to, to want to make excuses, you know, and say, hey, look, the reason I have sinned is because of this or that or whatever. And Miroslav Wolf says this, we confess our offenses, but confession is hard. When I confess that I've committed an offense, I stand exposed, pointing an accusing finger at myself and at the guilt of my offense. Almost instinctively, I want to clothe myself with denials and exculpatory explanations. A few years ago, I went to a speed awareness course. And at the start of the course, the person running it went around and asked everyone, why are you here? And nobody, not one person said, I am here because I went too fast and broke the law. Not one person said that. Because that was the reason everyone was in the room. I went around the room. So I, was, uh, I, th- I, I think that speed camera's dodgy. Uh, my foot slipped and hit the accelerator. I didn't mean to. My kids were fighting in the back and I got distracted. I was, oh, the, the amount of excuses there were to why they were there. The reality is when it comes to repentance, confession is saying, I did this. It was me. And that's it. And when we do that, when we confess our sins to God, what we receive is we receive verse 38. We receive forgiveness for our sins. And that, I know we know that, but that, that is the amazing thing about Christianity. Uh, we had uh, uh, some parents of Max's friends over yesterday for, for kind of tea and cake in the afternoon, Muslim family, and, you know, got to explain that to them. They're asking loads of questions about what I believe and got to explain that when we bring our sins to God, we get forgiven for those sins. And it was kind of hard for them to get their heads around that, really hard. But they're like, wow, this is really interesting. That is the beauty of the Christian message. Now, forgive me, I'm I'm quoting um, Miroslav Wolf loads, but he's good on this. I'm going to quote him one more time. He says this, we know from the start that whatever it might be that we confess, it will not count against us, whatever it might be. We are loved notwithstanding our offense. We are forgiven so that we can be freed from the burden of our offense and return into the arms of the loving God. That's beautiful, isn't it? That is what we have as Christians. So we may have more to repent of than we think, but the reality is there is way more grace to cover that than we could ever imagine. Way more. So that's the first point, what it means to repent. Second point, what does it mean to be baptized? Okay, so what is baptism? I know, I'm sure many of us know, but what is baptism? Well, baptism is what we do when we accept Jesus as Lord to show we have accepted Jesus as Lord, okay? Now, baptizo is the, is the Greek word, Greek word, and it means to dip, immerse, or submerge something. It basically means to put something completely under water. So back in the day that the Bible was written, when a, a ship sank, and the moment it went completely underwater, they would say it had been baptized. When someone was dyeing cloth, and the moment they put the cloth completely under the dye, they would say it had been 
baptized. Okay? John the Baptist, essentially, is basically called John the Dipper, John the Submerger, John the Immerser. That's essentially what his nickname is. It sounds less fun, but anyway, Baptist sounds better. But that's, that's what they did. That's how the early church baptized people underwater. And that's why we do it here at CCM, by full immersion, by going fully under the water. Now, the Bible tells us baptism is a visual aid. It's a, a picture of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. So going underwater reminds us that he died. Being underwater reminds us that he was buried for three days. Hopefully, if you ever get baptized, they don't hold you under there for three days to really signify that. But it's, and then coming up reminds us that he rose. And it also reminds us that if we're Christians, we identify with him. So we died, we were buried, and we rose. We will rise again with him with new life. Baptism is also a good visual aid of what happens when we become Christians as well. The Bible says when anyone becomes a Christian, they become a new person inside. The old has gone, kind of represented by the going down under the water, and the new has come, represented by coming up out of the water. And it represents our sin being washed away, and it represents beginning a brand new life. That is what baptism is all about. I know many of us may already know that, but just important to share that this morning. And thirdly, what does it mean to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is, is God. It's the third person of the Trinity. And he speaks to and works in our heart. And he does this, I just want to say, he does this in kind of a mysterious kind of way. It's hard to quantify sometimes how the Holy Spirit works, but he clearly does. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit reminds us of the truths about Jesus. He's described as our comforter and our helper and our counselor. And he helps us to know God better and to live more and more in accordance with God's will. He works in us, he prompts us, he guides us, he transforms us, he helps us to follow Jesus, he gives us unique talents and abilities in order to serve those around us. And basically, all I have to say, it's impossible to walk the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus and live as Christians. And also, let's remember, just as it says in the passage, the Holy Spirit is a gift to us. And we know that God loves to give good gifts. So I just want to, in a few moments, I'd love us to, I'm going to provide an opportunity for us to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive more of the Holy Spirit, to be filled and empowered again with the Holy Spirit. But I just want to end this morning by putting the same challenge to us that Peter put to his listeners. Repent and be what? Baptized, yeah. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit, amen. Now, I don't know where you guys are all at this morning. Maybe some of us sitting here today and and what you actually need to hear from this is repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Repenting and forgiving, receiving forgiveness is, is from, from God is, is something we do again and again, but maybe it's something some of us need to do here this morning for the very first time. And if that's you, I'd love to chat to you afterwards about that. But maybe for you, that's not the thing that's kind of hit home with you. Maybe some of us here need to hear the words be baptized. Now, baptism is simply a way of expressing our new life in Christ. Now, it's something I did whenever I started coming along to CCM probably about 12 years ago. Um, I had been baptized as a baby. Now, that's a theological discussion for another day, okay? But there is something powerful in being obedient to what the Bible says here and to be baptized when you follow Jesus. To be like, right, I follow Jesus now, now I'm going to get baptized. There is something 
obedient about doing that. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe some of you sitting here today is thinking, actually, yeah, I, I do need to do that. I do need to get baptized. Again, it'd be great to talk to you afterwards. We're having a baptism service in a couple of months' time. That might be something, yeah, you might like to get involved in and get baptized there. But then I think for some of the rest of us, maybe the thing that you need to hear from this morning is to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now at CCM, we believe that everyone who's a follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also encourages us to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. To keep receiving more and more of this wonderful gift. To help us walk, to help us grow in our faith and to help us serve those around us. Now, one of the little prayers I have in my little prayer list that I pray every day is for, is for spiritual maturity and growth for everyone here, everyone who goes to the heaters. And that only comes through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So like, that's my like, daily prayer for us, that God would grow us. So I just want to encourage us to receive the Holy Spirit.